It's the Practical Medicine Podcast, and we are Rob Balco and Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki. And it's our goal to bring awareness to the public at large about the many different ways to maintain health and heal your body, mind, and spirit from acupuncture to Zen living and everything in between. Today is episode 19, and we want to welcome our colleague Daniel Bernstein, licensed acupuncturist and certified hypnotist and author of Rewired for Sleep, and is working on his next book. So I wanted to start with a quote from Daniel's book, um, and it's talking about the tools that a physician has. Um, so the quote is, but when it comes to treating the illnesses with which most people struggle, insomnia, pain, anxiety, digestive issues, and stress, they've been left to wield a single tool, the prescription pad. So that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast to teach people uh, that there are other ways aside from the prescription pad to maintain your health and wellness. So um, I'd like to invite Daniel, welcome to the show, and ask you to share a little bit about yourself and your practice in New York City. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Rob, Dr. Stephanie. Thank you for having me on. I'm a big uh, fan of your podcast. I think you're doing a, a wonderful service to, uh, to everybody who listens because you are, in fact, uh, disseminating information that, um, you know, we call alternative medicine, but uh, some of us in the practice figure that, uh, you know, allopathic medicine is truly the alternative and we've been around for 3,000 years. So, um, little about me. Uh, I've been in practice since 1995. I, I did a four-year training in Chinese medicine and uh, acupuncture and, uh, and in uh, herbology. And I soon opened my own practice, Blue Phoenix Wellness. And over the years, as we do, we start adding modalities to what we do uh, just because uh, we are forever learning. And uh, so I became a medical hypnotherapist and uh, since COVID that practice, that second practice has evolved so that I actually, uh, I now have a, kind of an international practice. Um, and so I have, uh, I've been treating patients in Australia and Turkey and Greece and Germany and Argentina. And it's sort of been uh, pretty uh, fascinating to me how, uh, people can't sleep no matter where they are. Um, <laughs> and it has been joyful despite the sadness of, of COVID. Um, and so I'm still in that process of learning, um, of understanding what it means to really uh, dig below the surface, to be able to help people um, to find the alternative to sleep medication, because as we you know, preach to the choir, it is, it's the devil. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't help people. It knocks people out. After 21 days, it's addictive. It often stops working. It has massive side effects. And uh, that's just for starters. So uh, uh, I, I do find that the work is forever transforming on itself as we learn more about sleep uh, it allows me to dig deeper into the work that I do. Very cool. And can you give us give us a general overview of that work that you're doing with people and how that sets us apart, or you especially apart, from that Western model of prescriptions? Uh, 
Sure. So um, what I treat is essentially what uh, Chinese medicine has been talking about for 3,000 years, which is difficulty staying asleep, uh, difficulty getting to sleep, difficulty staying asleep, and then um, not feeling rested the next day. Uh, so three, uh, Western medicine has about a 12 definitions. In Chinese medicine, if we really look at it, we've got about 60 syndromes that we treat all around sleep. Um, in Chinese medicine, we get real specific so that it's sometimes, well, this person's having heart palpitations and they uh, wake up in the middle of the night and they feel cold. Another person might say, well, I wake up and I'm throwing my, the blankets off um, and uh, I feel dizzy or anxious. Uh, a third person might say, I can't get to sleep and I'm revved up. So uh, with Chinese medicine, what we're able to do is to really pick apart the uh, symptoms of why people can't sleep. And as we do that, we're able to start treating those symptoms. And so that sleep is really the final product if you treat the if you treat the symptoms along the way, then actually the person's able to sleep because the body is really this mechanism that it's not about. I mean, sometimes it's about sleep, but more often it's about the symptoms that do not that interfere with the person sleeping. Uh, initially, I had created a all too cute uh, equation, which was iPads, and the uh, iPad stood for insomnia equals pain, anxiety, digestive issues, drug involvement, stress, and then the final piece, which is self-realization issues. Um, I kind of threw that away because it was a little too cute. And, but the bottom line is those are the reasons why people don't sleep, along with real issues. You know, sometimes a person is like, what's going on with my family? What's going on with finances? What's going on with my health? Uh, I should have told the boss off. I should have not sent that email. Um, I didn't turn off all my electronics until 12 minutes before I got in bed. So, you know, there's a, there, there are fictitious in terms of the way we make up our mind to like, okay, the brain is not ready to let go yet. Right. So I use acupuncture, I use herbology, I use amino acids like L5-HTP, um, uh, you know, stuff like that. And also uh, hypnotherapy, which is a way to retrain the mind, as it were, to see anxiety coming and uh, with an anchor to help the person say, okay, this is anxiety. This is not reality. Okay. A patient today has been dealing with um, hypochondria. Okay. Hypochondria slash paranoia. Two intense things that talk, keep them from sleeping. So we've been working on um, seeing what they are, which is actually deep anxiety slash panic. I mean, he's taken himself to the hospital various times. And once he now sees that it is not what it is, but that issue, which is anxiety, he's able to kind of put it in a box, take a step away from it and then start doing some exercises that can actually help them. Breathing exercises. Um, there's a bunch of exercises in the book that I talk about. And, and there are others, just mindfulness of where we are at. So as an overview, that's kind of the way I work, which is to kind of get people, you know, and the, and the acupuncture is brilliant because it really is, 
I mean, rewired for sleep. I really believe it. We are rewiring the central nervous system. Right. The acupuncture, right. Definitely. And I like that the, the book walks you through 28 days to getting there. And there's this, um, you read about it in a lot of different places that it takes 28 days to sort of reset the brain or retrain yourself and, and acclimate new habits into what you're doing. Um, and there are great, great suggestions of self-care in the book. That was one of the things I don't, um, insomnia is not one of the major things that I treat it. I treat it going along with things like um, gynecological issues, but it's not the specialty in my practice. But I read the book because I, I'm always looking for tools that I can, you know, use to help my patients. And, and I love that you walk them through, like, here's what you want to do for this. And here's what, you know, this might be your pattern. And you give examples of what's going on with different people. So it was, it was a really great read, you know, even as a practitioner, and it's put into terms that you don't have to be a practitioner to read it. You can be someone suffering from insomnia and, and incorporate this into your life. Um, Thank you. So the so do you see specific patterns that seem to happen concurrently, or is it just that the anxiety, the pain, the digestion are the the more common concurrent patterns with well, it? Well, I mean, very often you will see uh, one of those is called tired and wired. Okay, and I'm sure you all see even you don't have to specialize in insomnia when people come in and they are way, they're just feeling beat up. And they're also feeling too beat up to sleep sometimes. In other words, uh, somebody might wake up and say, you know, I got eight hours, but I feel like I just did, ran a 10K. Um, and, you know, and if you say that to a room full of people, a third of the people are just nodding because it's a very common feeling right. to feel completely unrested. Um, and uh, so there are a couple of things going on there. One is... Um, their cortisol levels are like spiking. Okay, so it is anxiety or stress, whatever, you know, the hormonal issue. Um, so they're unable to stop. Okay, and a part, a lot of the work is really about what I call letting steam out of the gasket throughout the day. Okay, I think that that's kind of essential work when a person's doing it on their own. And the goal of all Chinese medicine is to get people to treat themselves right now we're in a culture where that is a sort of I'll wait till I'm sick, you know, right. um, as I'm sure you do. It's much harder to treat, you know, cause we're in a disease based um, uh, health system. It is right. not a health based system. So in, in China, they'll have people, okay, here, here's what you got to do. Okay. You got to meditate. you got to eat better. You've got to exercise. Uh, you got to take a walk. You got to stop sitting down, you know, and come back to me when you're doing that because they are the right. doctors get paid when up to keep a person healthy. Right. Um, so in this situation, you've got adrenal fatigue and you've got an overload of cortisol. So the person, the sympathetic nervous system does not know when to stop. Okay. We'll get light for people who are listening. I, I'm sure that they've heard of that fight or flight. So it's right. only perpetual state of like your body doesn't know that it doesn't need to be in that, you know, fight or flight mode. And it just stays in it, even though it doesn't need to. Truly. Well, we've got all these stressors, you know, in daily life, perhaps in some ways more than we've ever had. Um, 
I, you know, I just think that the overload of too many people, too much information, bills coming at us, um, an uncertain future. So, and the, you know, constant, you know, constant apps coming at us, new learning. And so it's all, we take it in and we think we're okay with it. But meanwhile, it's kind of just layers and layers and layers of meeting stressors that we're fine with until all of a sudden th something starts breaking down, right? And all of a sudden that's when they come in and they don't know what it is, but for some reason, they're, in my case, uh, often they can't sleep or, um, or they're just feeling beat up. And it is the adrenaline, you know, the adrenals are these two little glands that sit atop of the kidneys, right? So they spew out some 50 chemicals, probably hundreds more that we don't know about. One of them is adrenaline, which is uh, what gets us up in the morning. It gets what's called our sympathetic nervous system going. Sympathetic nervous system's not very sympathetic, but it gets it going. We're gonna conquer the world. We're gonna go and, you know, kill that mastodon because this has been going on forever, right? And we go and we go after the mastodon. All of a sudden it turns on us and we gotta run away. And all of a sudden we're not so excited and the cortisol levels have kicked up. Right. In a perfect world at night comes the sympathetic nervous system drops down and the parasympathetic nervous system. It's kind of like a, a seesaw the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where we relax, we're able to digest, to digest food. We slowly, as nighttime falls, we kind of crawl into our little lair and we sleep soundly until the sun comes up. That's the way it has been throughout time. Um, ever since the industrial revolution, that, that stopped being the case, okay? All of a sudden we had to be at work at seven in the morning, didn't matter when the sun went down or when the sun came up, suddenly, if we weren't sleeping eight hours through the night, uh, something was wrong. Right. And so what that kicked up, that meant that if you woke up at three in the morning, uh, all of a sudden you had, um, you know, your, your cortisol levels were crazy. Oh my God, I can't sleep. I'll never sleep again. And so what I always tell people is if you're one of those people who wakes up at two in the morning, three in the morning, there may be something going on. There may be some anxiety, but, also understand that in the old days, before the industrial revolution, there was something called first sleep and second sleep. So people would wake up at 1.30, they might get up and feed the chickens, they might read a little bit, they might uh, meditate, might have sex, might talk with their partner, and eventually they would just go back into second sleep. And so it was a natural process. Um, ever since the industrial revolution, we're not we've had this feeling of I'm supposed to sleep hours. And so I always tell people, give yourself a break. Don't, don't give yourself that extra agita, that extra cortisol. If you do wake up in the middle of the night, just say to yourself, it's okay if I don't sleep, I'm just going to rest. Right. And, and give yourself that freedom to simply remain still and sleep will probably it won't feel like you've just had two cups of espresso when you're trying to sleep. It makes a big difference. I wonder how much of that is when someone is fighting it, how much that makes it worse. It and makes it a lot worse. Harder. Whereas, like you said, if you just, okay, I'm just going to close my eyes and I don't want to say count sheep, but. Anything that works. Right. But, like counting for me, like when I'm walking, 
I count as a calming thing for myself. Absolutely. And it's sort of meditative for me. So like, you know, the idea of counting in the middle of the night to me is soothing. Like eventually yeah. you just kind of drift off. It, it, the mind works in, in funny ways that, you know, you would think counting, you'd think um, solving a problem, you know, for some people, I, I'm not that way. You know, for me, if I start working on a problem, my brain starts cranking up. Right. However, for some other people, you know, uh, my wife has, you know, has zero problems sleeping. I mean, she can sleep through a hurricane. And I asked her just recently, how do you do it? You know, and she's a, she, she designs clothing for a living. And she said, well, I just start working on a pattern in my head, you know, and it's like, oh, it's the queen's gambit. You know, it's <laughs> that, it is that mindset. like, God bless, I can't do it, but it's the same thing, numbers. Yeah, I generally sleep through, you know, I, I'm pretty much a sound sleeper. I definitely need eight hours of sleep, but I'm not one to get up during the night, really. I don't know if that'll change as I move towards those menopausal years, but um, yeah, for it, now. It need not. It need not. Yeah. I think people, I think, I believe unless there's something, some a situation, you know, there's a chronic insomnia and there's situational or acute insomnia. Chronic ins insomnia is typically people who have had that problem for a long time, right? often for their whole lives, uh, perhaps an underlying anxiety kind of situation. They're situational where it's all of a sudden, it may be the onset of, you know, menopause, it might be a divorce, it might be a loss, it might, you know, in which case they'll all of a sudden have that, you know, uh, friendly little freak out where they just can't right. sleep for a while. And, and, and that typically goes away on its own. So I wonder, Dan, if we could talk for a minute about why sleep is so important in our lives. Sure. Especially as it relates to overall healing in the body. Right. Uh, well, that's a great question. I think uh, part of it is uh, it has to do with the stages of sleep. And again, uh, not to beat up on doctors, you know, doctors are doing the best they can, but when they give uh, uh, sleeping sleep aids, as they're called, um, the problem with them, and I asked a bunch of doctors this question and none of them could really answer it. And I did the research. Sleep aids don't take you to see, we have four stages of sleep. And the crucial ones are the third and the fourth stages where we go into the healing stages. Uh, sleep aids don't let you go into that third and fourth stage. So you're basically knocked out without having the recuperative aspects of it. And that really uh, is uh, awful. So in those third and fourth stages is where the where, where body heals itself, um, where memory uh, is enhanced, where we process the problems of the day, um, and I've, I've come to believe most importantly, uh, it, it impacts on the immune system. Okay. Um, and this is something that for now, the time we were in the time of COVID, this is so crucial to existence. Um, there's a, a Dr. Matthew Walker wrote a book called why we sleep. And in it, he talks about the body's, uh, natural killer cells. And what they are is they are the first lines of defense in the body against microbes, against cancer cells, against other potential pathogens. And the data indicated that one night of poor sleep um, uh, defeated the efficacy of those natural killer cells by 70%, by up to 70%, which is kind of shocking, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I won't say that it, 
it, it's that way every time. But, you know, sleep is that important. I think it, it, it in my mind, it places sleep almost at the top of the food chain for immune for the immune function, you know, above nutrition, above uh, healthy exercise, above, um, you know, mental health, you know, all these things that are so crucial above, not, you know, not sitting too much. It means that if we can get a healthy night of sleep, our immune system is that much stronger. And I believe, I've come to believe that it may be the X factor in why some people who, when we saw people getting COVID, so you see somebody who's 30 years old, healthy, you know, incredible shape, and somehow they would get it. And somebody who's 70 wouldn't, you know? And so I think sleep is an important factor and I can't, we can't predict the future, but I do feel comfortable saying that whatever it has in store for us, uh, you know, our immune system needs to be at its peak. And I feel that uh, the more we can move towards a state of consistent, healthy sleep, and that means not necessarily eight hours, but in, we sleep in, in uh, circles, circuits of what, an hour and a half. So if you're getting three and a half or four hours or four circuits, of an hour and a half, your your sleep will. That means that you're getting down to the deeper levels, uh, and, and I do feel that's crucial for for our overall health. I'm thinking as you're saying this about this losing the seventy percent of um, your body's own defense. We always talk about the skin being this major line of defense, and clearly sleep is also a major line of defense. Then, Truly. of wellness, that's right. It's not just healthy skin, right? It's true. I, right. There can, I mean, it's all, we are one large topography. So it is all so interconnected that, you know, and that's a fascinating point because it's like, well, what is, you know, clearly there's a connection of, you know, they talk about, well, make sure that all the lights are, you know, blocked off, you know, in, in, in sleep hygiene, it's called. Right. Cl close all the lighting because your skin, because the lights penetrate through your skin and that, uh, is impactful on our ability to sleep. So in that way, Weichi is yeah is what it is. It's it's actually right. a real thing. Um, what are some of the natural ways that people can work towards sleeping better that you might be able to share with our listeners? Sure, um, I do think that uh, first of all, in a perfect world. Uh, <laughs> I know we all laugh at that one, right? It's sort of like, well, we're mind, we do mindful meditation, we eat well, we uh, exercise. Uh, not, hopefully, not too late in the day. By the way, uh, the best time to exercise is either in the morning or in the early afternoon, uh, because uh, as it goes later into the day, the skin, the the body uh, exercise overheats the body, and the best temperature. Certainly, if you're going to sleep, the best temperature is under 70 degrees. So we want the body to be not overheated. Uh, so when we exercise, uh, we want to do it earlier in the day. And so these are the perfect world scenarios. We can throw those all out, okay? Because none. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Right, exactly. So the, I start really simply. I mean, for the things that we can do for ourselves is we can start being mindful about our breath. Okay, I thought, you know, I and every other healer I know knows that breath is essential. And so 
learning how to breathe from our belly, something we never learned. You know, we all grew up with like the macho gym teacher going, you know, you know breathe from the chest, suck in the breath. Right. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure you probably covered it. Uh, so breathing from the belly, that's one place we start. Um, one of the simplest exercises that I have in Rewired is uh, it's called the five, five and five. And it's a way to kind of compact uh, different ways, uh, different methods until just 15 minutes of our time. So it's a way that once we're about to go to bed, you know, typically it's okay, I'm ready to go to bed, wash my teeth, blah, 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 and brush my teeth. And we turn off the light. And it's like, okay, let's get to sleep now. Um, this is a way to kind of forestall it by 15 minutes. And as I say, it's called the five, five and five, and there's no particular order. But one way I tell people is take the first five minutes, just get a pad and paper and write down all the stuff you got to do tomorrow. Write down the things perhaps that you didn't do today. Do it in a sort of a kind of a detached manner. Don't turn it into, you know, a, a, a huge manifesto, five minutes and you're done. Write it down you know, and then just fold that piece of paper. You can say out loud or to yourself, these are tomorrow's problems. And then just put that aside. And it's a way to get it out from out of your head and onto out into the world, real world and, and letting it go. The second five minutes uh, can be simply imagining a wonderful time that you had someplace. And for many people, it's the beach. Okay, so we'll use that as an example. And I invite people with neuro-linguistic programming, we think of, uh, it's called VAC, Visual Auditory Kinesthetic. Okay, so what that refers to is look at that, let's call it the beach, you know, just check out the beach, look at the, the waves, maybe you see a, a sailboat bobbing up and down in the distance, you see you know, uh, gulls above of you, you'll, you'll see the beautiful gentle surf. Uh, A is auditory, you can hear the gulls cawing, you can hear the wonderful surf, um, you can hear the wind, you know, breeze just, you know, blowing against your skin. And, and then K is kinesthetic, which, and that stands for uh, feeling, the sensations, the feeling the, the, the sand underneath your toes, the wind. And so bring yourself into that wonderful scenario for five minutes and just kind of breathe while you're still breathing, taking long, deep breaths and allow yourself to uh, incorporate that. And then finally, it is the breath. So I probably did it backwards. First, you want to get the breath going. So to spend five minutes um, breathing into your belly, you know, just without judgment, if you forget or you your mind spaces out, that's kind of the point of it. You know, it's like just kind of doing something nice and boring, like breathing. And then if you're still there, you kind of go on and just kind of create that wonderful scenario. And that's in a sense, in a sense really very much the core of uh, trance work. Okay. Right. right. It's sort of just saying, uh, I'm going to take you out from, take myself out of this reality and I'm going to place myself someplace nice. I'm going to just do some breathing. And if I'm still awake, that's okay because I've done part of the work of uh, letting some of the steam out of the gasket of the today, right. the day's problems, not having to think of, you know, I've put the problems aside. I have 
you know, done some breath work. I've done, and it's it, it's it's simple, it's simplistic, and yet nice and effective. And I just want to say uh, on the note of I love the beach as a visual, but if for some reason you were someone who doesn't like right. the beach or water, or you can make that scenario someplace else. It could be mm -hmm. in nature, you know, in the woods, in a meadow somewhere. You know, you just have to find that comfort zone. Um, of where that place is for you. I love the beach. So visuals around the beach. Right. It can be your home. It can be your home. It can be your den, your little room. It can be your, you know, a backyard. It's any, yeah. any place where you have found in your life that you felt comfortable, comfortable. safe, you know, uh, where you were able to just hang out, you know, just maybe if it's a back porch somewhere and listening to cicadas at night, you know, whatever, whatever works. It's just all, it's right. your, it's your, and it can change from one evening to the next, right. right? Depending on what works for you, you might just uh, put the idea out there for yourself and close your eyes and see what you see. You might yeah. see a meadow. You might see a meadow full of flowers, or maybe covered in snow. Right. Depending on what's what working, season you like, yeah. Right, what's working right. you in that particular time? It's funny because I listened to one of the other podcasts that they do here at the studio called "Not Okay, It's Okay." And they were talking about meditation and Rashida had said something about it. it was a meditation where they were like in nature. And she said, all she could think about was the bugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For person, And all you're thinking about is bugs. It's definitely not <laughs> <laughs> get them not conducive and it's not gonna happen no. and which is something that's good to know like when you're doing hypnosis find out if you're doing especially a group hypnosis who's in the group <laughs> at a time and if there's anything that's like a no a no right. you know non-relaxing <laughs> topic because that's not where you want and you never and you never know you just right. never know i mean it's right yeah. i mean People have got all, I mean, I always ask certain questions, you know, before I'm, I do the trance work because you, you you take nothing for granted and and it's fascinating. It's like, definitely not bicycles. So I was like, oh, you, look, you look super athletic I'm, to myself. <laughs> Couldn't ride a bike? Next or? thing you know, you've been awake for three hours. <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit, Dan, and ask about the treatments themselves. Um, do you always do hypnosis and acupuncture? Do you mix it up? Well, you know, some people are, you know, we, we're talking about two modalities that are not exactly mainstream, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, 25 years ago, 25 years ago, very few people had gotten acupuncture and even fewer you know, knew anything about hypnotherapy, except that it was where somebody got on stage and made you quack like a duck, right? <laughs> so it was not exactly, I can heal you with these modalities, you know. Uh, now we're at a point where acupuncture uh, is accepted by a portion of the populace, you know. It still fascinates me that only 3% of people in this country have had acupuncture, and we're supposed to be the enlightened huh? We're oh, no what is, is absolutely except it's needles, you know, which yeah. it isn't. It's tiny pins. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm on a one man uh, mission, by the way, to change the name needles to pins. So yeah. <laughs> I encourage everybody to, you know, change it because it is everything is, you know, as a hypnotherapist, you know, Doctor Stephanie, that words are words matter. 
Yeah, and, uh, you do, Rob, Dr. Rob, too. So, but uh, so anyway, uh, so some of the work, uh, some if somebody's available for both, I I will do both. Uh, part of the intake de depends, you know, it, it leads me in a particular direction. If I think the person is available for both hypnotherapy and acupuncture, I think it's it's typically valuable. But if they've never done either one, I will start usually which with whichever one they seem more amenable to because uh, the last thing I want is somebody, uh, it's never happened, but the last thing I want is somebody who all of a sudden is like, oh my God, I'm pinned down and I can't move. Uh, so, <laughs> so, but in a standard where somebody's been doing it, I will do a mini intake every time. I'll ask them what, you know, how was the last session? Any fit shifts that you have felt? You know, is there something you'd like to focus on? And I, I, I go with whatever they, you know, they dictate. If they want to do both, great. If they want to do one, I'm fine with that. Uh, sometimes, you know, some people do come in and do not want pins, as I said. You right. know, in which case I I will say, fine, we can, we can actually do magnets, you know, in which case I'll do some eight extraordinary vessels on them using magnets and and, and play that way and that 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 is sort of an entry level to uh, going deeper into the channels. Um, and I, I'd like to do like hypnotherapy I do typically in sets of three or four because I let people know there is no magic. Um, and as you both know, people will come in with problems for you know 15 years and they will um, I don't blame them, but they expect to be cured within one session because, you know, it's like we're somewhere between, you know, the voodoo doctor and, you know, and the leech specialist. Right. So, uh, you know, it's sort of like part of our work is to inform people that everything is process, you know, that change can happen instantaneously and does, but to not lean on that expectation because we are in, in essence, uh, doing pretty deep work. Retraining doing, the body and the brain, you know. Right. And Treating that, body, brain, and spirit, that's all, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> like, yeah, part that's of our work. easy. Um, so are there any um, parameters that you give around food and specific exercises that you recommend for your patients or our listeners, things that maybe you feel like should be avoided, you know, like foods not to have, Sure. Well, um, we know that simple carbohydrates, you know, pizza, pizza, pasta, bread, they all, they all, all the whites, they, they're really heavy on sugar. So anything that uh, entails sugar, uh, caffeine obviously doesn't have sugar, but you know, caffeine's the number one. We want to kind of cut that back to nothing past noon. Okay. And if you can cut it out at all, I'm not against caffeine, but right. if somebody's having problems sleeping, we got to look at that as a main offender. Uh, Which also includes soda. I think people forget that, you know, if you're drinking caffeinated soda and you're drinking multiple ounces of soda throughout the day, it's going to have the same impact, I think, as coffee. Plus it's, it's caffeine and it's sugar. Correct. You're kind of, you know. It's a big one too. It's a big yeah. one. I mean, sometimes, you know, you hear about people who are insistent on having a, you know, two six packs of Diet Coke. 
and uh, throughout the day. And it's but it's diet. It's good for me. And doesn't have any sugar. Yeah, let's fo focus on the die part, okay? D I D. Does that ring a bell? I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. So you know. We, uh, we all come from the same culture, you know, I mean, we make fun of it and it's not made to make fun of anyone who's listening because uh, we all, you know, we understand these things because we 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 started in, in, in a place of knowing nothing and slowly came to understand that, um, you know, healing is a process of, of de-brainwashing. Right. And... Uh, and I, I, I sometimes will tell people, and I'm loath to say it now, but I, uh, you know, my feeling is that I also know nothing. Okay, I just happen to know a little bit less nothing about the specialty that I have, which is insomnia and sleep, than most other people. So, you know, uh, I happen to fail less at that at my specialty. Than 99% of the people, and that kind of makes me an expert yeah. <laughs> in a weird way. So, and, I if people, helping, and if you're helping that many people, that's pretty darn right. Good. Well, I'm not saying I help 99%, but I mean, I oh, just you, I know that I fail less than most other people who do the work because, uh, you know, I, I we listen to we are forced to listen to our patients. We can't say, here's a prescription, do what, you know, take this and, you know, I'll tell you when to stop. We actually have to. Right. Uh, and think it through because we're separating patterns out. Like right. 20 people are gonna come in with insomnia, 20 people aren't gonna get the same points. Truly. Some of them right. may overlap, but sure. there's gonna be variations because you're still looking at each of those 20 people and there are circumstances around it. So right. it's not just, again, we've talked about this. It's not cookie cutter. Like right. medicine is not cookie cutter. We are, we're unable to, you, you know, the people, let's put it this way. I mean, uh, there's some interesting studies out of China. Okay. And in China, they are able to do cookie cutter. They will do points. We know, you know, on Mian, Yin Tang, spleen six, liver three, uh, heart seven, but they do them five days a week for right for four weeks at a clip. Okay. Right. So cutter works. And, and I, I, I know that they're not, they're not, they will do better, but at the same time, they're forced to do these Western style studies. And in these Western style studies, they cannot vary the points. So right. it will work. However, we are forced, you know, we, we don't have the luxury of seeing someone five times a week, five times a week for four weeks at a clip. Yeah. They do. We have that luxury. The patient doesn't because it's not paid for. Right. So, uh, so yes, we, we, we are forced to be, uh, really dig below the surface to use pulses, to, you know, palpate, to ask questions, to use intuition sometimes. Okay. There's, right. uh, I think all of us are, are, uh, are, are able to kind of go, well, I've done this, 3,000 times. So my intuition tells me that I'm going to add this point, you know, right. and give this, you know, you know, and, and, and then we use our syndrome differentiation to, to prescribe herbs, which are also very powerful for sleep. Right. Dan, do you find a difference in the populations of men and women with insomnia? Well, um, my patients are primarily women uh, in terms of insomnia. And the data does indicate that women do have a hard time getting, harder time getting to sleep, staying asleep, 
and feeling rested the next day. Um, and I had to think about that. Why, you know, and it kind of makes sense given our culture. Uh, you know, women have an inordinate amount of pressure put on them just to kind of break the glass ceiling, whatever is going on. Men get it easier. Um, men have it easier. Uh, and as they go through life, you know, but women are paid less. Uh, that means they have to work harder to maintain a certain quality of life. Uh, when they're pregnant, they have to deal with sleep and more difficultly. They also have, you know, later in life issues. So going through life, I believe that that is the reason why women, they're more complex creatures, as we all know. Uh, so uh, physically and emotionally and, and, you know, put a beer in a guy's hand and he'll pass out, you know, I'm being very, <laughs> very <laughs> gross generalizations here. Forgive me guys. But you know, we are, we, we, we kind of let stuff roll off. And I think also, I mean, just speaking in terms of my clientele, uh, women are more open to healing. Women are more open to alternative methods. Um, and I will say that for them, uh, because, uh, I think they may be more aware of the limitations of allopathic medicine. I think that they've been probably often treated, uh, as second rate citizens. Right. And so it's sort of like you told that we're hypochondriacs a lot with different things that go on and that sort of thing. I'm sure you could <laughs> tell me quite a bit about, oh, I mean, so yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big problem. You know, the, the, the sex, I mean, it's not even sexism. I mean, I know I had some issues that I, uh, GI issues years ago that I kind of went and did some, some, some self healing. And then I went to the GI guy who I'd been seeing and I said, by the way, here's the formula that I used to help heal myself. And he was like, uh, if you think it helped you fine, you know, and he didn't even, bother just, this was like uh, something that theoretically was non-healing that, you know, that was, so we've all been uh, privy to that sort of attitude, I'd call it. Right. Right. Do you feel that it's, um, that insomnia is the same here in the U S as it is maybe in other countries or are we worse? Are we better? Where do we kind of lie with that? Well, I don't have a lot of data around that, but I have seen that, whereas in the United States, it's about 40%, 20% chronic and 20% acute. So that at any time, 20, you know, 20% of the populace is really struggling with sleep. Um, and what I've read is that in Asia, it's more close to 11%. Now, I don't know how real that is, whether it's counted the same way that we count, but I would not be surprised if there are less issues. Um, I know Europe is pretty much the same as we are. Uh, you know, again, it's our lifestyle. You know, we're kind of used to, we eat what we want. We go to sleep when we want. we got a mess of little apps that we got to talk to. Um, and uh, I would say that, you know, in the, and in Asia, my sense is that they are more connected with their bodies. Uh, than we are. I'd say that we've become highly disconnected from our bodies in this culture. Um, that said, uh, you know, from my mind, insomnia has always been there. You know, it's always been there. Uh, you know, I like to joke that it's 
you know, goes back to the caveman, you know, some caveman was like laying, a, you know, staying up half the night obsessing about his neighbor's cave, which was bigger than his and, and his and his neighbor's wife, who was hotter than his, you know. <laughs> so I, I know it's always been there. We just kind of transferred into different. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Dan, can you talk quickly about uh, melatonin and cortisol and the balance between those two? Sure. So, uh, you know, melatonin is a, I think it's a neurotransmitter that's uh, mainly made in the pineal gland. Uh, and I think it's also got some, it's also made partially in the enteric system in the stomach. But uh, typically the pineal gland is with us. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's involved in distinguishing day from night. And uh, often as we age, the pineal gland tends to shrink somewhat, thereby diminishing the ability of melatonin to be secreted or the amount of melatonin to be secreted by the pineal gland. Therefore, many, very often you'll hear about people who are older having a hard time. They're not even having a hard time. They just sleep less. And I do assume that that has a lot to do with it. Um, so the mel so melatonin is now uh, given as a supplement. And uh, I, you know, I think it can be pretty uh, effective. I'd say, let's put it this way. There are three camps. Some people who love it uh, and sleep, you know, take, take their melatonin lightly, nightly. Others who, for whom they hate it because it makes them uh, have incredible intense dreaming and they don't like that. I happen to love the intense dreams from, from it. <laughs> and then a third from whom it does nothing, maybe more like 40% for whom, for whom it does nothing. And so, uh, you know, I, I always like to do what's easiest. Okay. And if I think if melatonin can help somebody, I'm happy to re recommend it. I always tell people start with a lower dose. Um, and, and I learned that the kind of the hard way because uh, typically there, you know, you, you go to either Trader Joe's or CVS and they've like three milligram, five milligram, 10 milligram, 15 milligrams. And so I was like, well, let's, let's really work on it. Let's do 10 <laughs> milligrams. Right. And some, it's often too much. However, I had one, I have had one patient who, uh, did, had the midnight shift at uh, CBS. He's a, an editor for CBS uh, TV. And uh, so he was having circadian rhythm problems and having a horrible time sleeping. And finally, I just said, why don't you cut back? Try 500 micrograms of melatonin. And he did, and he called me excitedly about three days later. He said, I can't even tell you how well I'm sleeping. So... Uh, Sometimes it's the thing you least expect. Um, and as far as cortisol, uh, you know, we touched on it before, which is basically it's the so-called stress hormone. Um, it happens when we are stressed constantly and it just builds and builds. And so essentially uh, it drains the adrenals. Um, and uh, there is a, a pretty good... Uh, it's kind of half Western, half Eastern. It's got ashwagandha in it, and it's called cortisol dam uh, manager. And it happens to be a pretty good—I'd uh, call it a supplement. It's not—it's not quite a sleep aid, but it's a calming. Uh, it has a calming effect. 
Uh, and I, I recommend that or prescribe it for my patients sometimes because I think sometimes people, have, I think it may have some um, L-theanine in as well, which is also a, maybe a, I think it's a precursor to, um, to melatonin. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, there, you know, we have ways of working with this stuff. I had read a book where they talked about that the balance of the two, particularly in women who have higher amounts of belly fat, uh-huh. if the two are out of whack and, and not working synchronously that it can create issues. And that part of that comes from having that good night's sleep and that that was the one of the key components to losing that belly fat was making sure that you had a good night's sleep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. There, oh, there's a whole uh, uh, component to uh, exercise, uh, especially to lose belly fat. You know, to lose weight that is um, involved with with healthy sleep. Um, I think I think I talk about it in the book, maybe. Uh, but yes, there are certain chemicals in the body that are uh, stimulated to uh, make you less hungry and yeah. to lose weight. And the and poor sleep um, inversely uh, makes you more crave food more often. Now, yeah. uh, just to talk about some of the food that I think we mentioned, you asked me before about it, just to come back around. Uh, I mentioned carbs as being, you know, something that's not great. There's something that if some, some of you wake up in the middle of the night, I tell patients, and you're hungry, um, to not go for the carbs, but to go for a little piece of protein, uh, maybe a little piece of chicken, uh, or maybe a small handful of nuts. Uh, it's protein that actually is 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 helpful. It satiates the hunger and uh, now wakes you back up. It doesn't wake you back up exactly. Right. Um, so I just want to go to the comments so that we don't um, end up before. Um, Let's see. Let's go to Hillary's. She said, I'm a fan of blue light blocking glasses. Do you believe they're f- effective to help improve sleep? Good question. I, I, I assume that they are. I, I don't have any proof of that, but um, I, I, I use them. I, I, I've heard, you know, I've, I've not done this, read the statistics, but I, if, if I had to err, I'd err on the side of using them because uh, yes. the light, you know, the light emanating from from computers is nasty, and especially at night. You know, most people say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to lay off the uh, electronics and the social media," um, but it takes a mighty strong person to really be able to, unless you're really not into that whole thing. You know, right. people will, will push it. I'm sorry. And as we were saying before, it it's it takes that strong person, but it takes a, a period of time right. for that to be effective. One night or two is not going to make much of a difference. Right. The repetition of it. Uh, Gretchen says, I like the concept of second sleep. In the last year, I've accepted that I might wake up in the middle of the night. I allow myself to read for a bit until I get sleepy and then go back to sleep. Perfect. Yeah. And then I just want to, Catherine McKenzie, who is also another colleague, she said, she wanted (laughs) to say that hypnotherapy and acupuncture with Daniel is pretty amazing and that you make, uh, you make, 
he makes you feel so safe to explore both modalities. So I, I wanted to share that because we love, we love Catherine and we do um, too. I do too. Yes. And uh, yes, I, it's, um, Let's put it this way: the the idea of feeling safe is, uh, as we all know, it, it's right. kind of core to the work, um, yeah. because we have we well we want to be because really that's what attracted us to it. You know, right. I think that many of us um, either ourselves or had loved ones who had uh, experienced something that broke our trust in. Right. Western medicine or Western doctors, sadly, because there are some great ones out there, many great ones. Um, and so we we felt that there was something more. We felt there was something far more important that really we we you know if we if we had that that sense in ourselves that you know I I I'm attracted to this work because I feel like I, I want to be of service. Right. And when we come from a place of being of service. Um, you know, that's when the little miracles start to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we before finish up, that, I want to go back to what Daniel said about turning the word needles into pins and especially the other word acupuncturist is actually, there's, there's no, there, there's really, you know, what other medical profession has its uh, one of its modalities as its name. name. Right. So what if we called, pain management specialist, epiduralists. <laughs> there you go. And, and what if you went to see the speculumulator <laughs> or the forceps operator? Uh, the forceps operator. I have a word that I believe is works for us, but you're absolutely, I have, that, that is a comedy routine. I love it by the way, because right. I always think, you know, we don't call dentists drillers, do we? No. And we don't call surgeons slashers. Right. And we don't call chiropractors neck snappers. So why are we called acupuncturists, you know? Right. No, uh, that's a good point. And so I feel I that this is after after getting everybody to call them pins, I want to call what we do I want to call ourselves equilibrists. Okay. I like that. Um so I'm gonna have Ming pick. We are we are gonna send a listener yes. a copy of Daniel's book. Yay. Wired for sleep. Um, so hopefully this isn't someone that we were pulling out. <laughs> so this was from a Reese, uh, an Instagram account, reset your health plan. So we will have to find out who that was and we'll maybe have Ming pick a backup one just in case, um, we can't get in touch with that person. Okay. You'll let um, me know. I will. Um, and then I just want to thank you for coming on and being our guest and talking about insomnia. Thank um, you for having me. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to have Daniel's contact information on our link tree account so that you can find information about his practice and his book. Um, and episode 20 is going to be in two weeks on the 12th. We're just making sure that I don't have any vaccine reaction on the fifth. Cause I'm, I'm getting my second dose oh, on Easter yay. Sunday. Um, <laughs> so thank you everybody for tuning in and, you know, I'm sure we'll do another Q and a episode at some point. So if you have other questions that didn't get asked, you can always submit them to us and we'll accumulate those for our next Q and a episode. So Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks, Ming, for thank you. putting together our podcast for us. And thank you again, Daniel. Thank you, Dan. thank you both. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Have a great night. Have a great one. Be well.
And thank you, listeners. Yes. The contents presented during the Practical Medicine Podcast include information about various modalities that exist to achieve health and wellness and are for informational purposes only. You acknowledge and agree that the following disclaimers and warnings shall apply to all content presented. The podcast contains the opinions of Dr. Robert Balco, D-A-C-L-A-C, and Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki, D-A-C-M-L-A-C, and the guests of their show. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding any medical condition. The views expressed in the Practical Medicine Podcast are our own and do not represent those of all licensed acupuncture professionals. Always seek the help of your own acupuncturist or medical provider to determine your best course of action. You may want to use the information presented as a supplement to better understand your diagnosis or treatment, but it should not be the sole thing that you use to make important medical decisions. Do not use the content of the podcast in lieu of medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking care because of something you have heard on this podcast. Privacy is important to us. Thus, all people, places, and scenarios have been changed where applicable to protect privacy and maintain confidentiality.